there, apartment friends. It's me, Leslie Mathis, with the Multifamily Streamline Podcast. It won't come as a surprise, but I have been sitting on this amazing interview for months, and it hurts my heart to even have to share that because it's just so dang good. Nathan Cox is the founder and CEO of 68 Ventures in Spanish Fort, Alabama. Buckle your seatbelts because he has a lot of great things to share. Well, thank you so much for doing this today. I um, have not done an interview in a really long time, so we'll just see how this goes and keep it casual. But for our listeners, can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, I'm uh, Nathan Cox, and I'm the founder and CEO of 68 Ventures based in uh, Baldwin County, Alabama. And uh, we span all across the Gulf Coast and our company focused on single family residential development and construction, but also involved in a bunch of different things. Uh, we have 18 operating businesses now, about 500 team members. And again, really focused uh, along the Gulf Coast, real estate services, construction, um, trade businesses, and those kind of things. But everything we're involved in kind of connects the dots in one way or another. It's easy to explain. So how did you end up starting 68 Ventures? So I got out of the Marine Corps in 2007 and initially started out as a real estate agent. My dad had been a real estate developer. My brother, who's 10 years older than me, had a real estate company down at the beach and uh, got out kind of unexpectedly and had to have some knee surgeries and moved back home. So didn't really know what was next. And real estate was just kind of a natural fit in the short term. And then we all know what kind of happened in 2007 and 2008. And uh, so, of course, I decided to start a real estate company, you know, in the midst of that and started out as kind of a one man operation, Bellator Real Estate Development, and really thought I'd be more of a commercial oriented um, type brokerage. You know, I'd been an investment and uh, investment major at Alabama and numbers always made a lot of sense to me. And so that's kind of what my plan was. And then, of course, again, 08 happened and you know, <laughs> the world started changing and kind of had to figure out what was next. And where I saw an opportunity was, you know, buying some things at distressed prices. And so I started putting together some small partnerships to, to do some different investing type things in Baldwin County, mainly develop lots and raw land, but very quickly realized no matter what you bought it for, uh, even if you thought you were getting a, an amazing deal, there was no one to sell it to because nobody had any money, nobody had any credit. So then start putting together some different partnerships from there that would actually finance builders building houses. And given that they couldn't get construction loans anywhere, uh, it allowed me to kind of dictate, you know, kind of the terms to that end and created some opportunities for us on the brokerage side to actually list the houses. So I had another one of my best friends forever, um, Charlie Dodson, who's been a buddy of mine since kindergarten. He came over and was the first team member to join me and worked at Bellator kind of selling houses and um, from there, we've kind of been, you know, just kind of one step after another. And Bellator has now become the largest real estate brokerage on the Gulf Coast. We did over $950 million in transaction volume last year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, oh, wow's right. You know, and uh, those guys have done a tremendous job building that company and making it what it is. But going back to uh, 2000, I guess, probably about 11, it got to where I was spending most of my time making sure builders were actually paying their subs. And I had another friend uh, who had been building houses, you know, nothing really of scale, but had been a more of a custom builder. And I told him that, man, we're investing all this money in these other guys. We know they're struggling. It's only a matter of time when we have a problem. Why don't we just start a home building company? So we started Truland Homes in 2011. 
and it took us about a year, year and a half before we reached kind of a ceiling uh, from a financial perspective on how far we could go with it. So in 2012, I brought in some other passive partners of mine, you know, more high net worth individuals who had just been uh, really solid partners to me and people who I considered mentors. And we formed a company called Battle Plan Capital. And Battle Plan, the vision for it when I started it was a lot of what 68 Ventures is today. You know, it was to build a vertically integrated operation. Uh, but at the time, all it had was Bellator Real Estate and then it had Truland Hubs. But back then, we weren't near as big as we are today. And I learned very quickly that there's a big difference between a business that sounds good uh, as an owner operator versus one that is actually good when you're more of an owner investor. And most of the businesses we looked at on the vertical integration spectrum didn't make any economic sense by the time you hired a first class person to go run it. Uh, you know, and they were kind of your operating partner. There just wasn't much at the end of the day. So I just kept going back to I'm better off trying to find one more real estate deal than I am adding more employees, adding more meetings, adding more phone calls and adding some of these other businesses. So fast forward another couple of years, Truly began growing. And, you know, my partners had always been very clear with me that there was a certain threshold on the debt side that they didn't want to cross. And, you know, once we got to where, you know, they didn't want to sign any more debt, you know, I was fine continuing to be the only guarantor on it, but I only owned 35% of the company and I didn't have a lot of assets outside of the business itself. And so that worked for a little while, but then eventually it got to where I couldn't do other things because of my contingent liabilities were kind of out of whack based off the ownership I had in the company and what I was signing on. So in 2016, I went to them and said, hey, look, here's where we are. We either got to sell the business, you know, y'all got to buy me out or I got to buy y'all out. <clears throat> they said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I think we've just gotten started. I think we got a wonderful opportunity ahead of us. I believe in what we're doing. I believe in the people I got around me. I believe in the Gulf Coast. And they said, great, well, you figure out how to buy us out and, you know, we'll go from there. So it took about six months and about a dozen banks and me calling in every favor, you know, I could with friends and family and everybody else. And, and they were gracious too. They worked with me in every way they could to make it happen, but was able to buy them out. And this the long way of me telling you, that's how we came to 68 Ventures. So I rebranded the company at that time. Then it was uh, still just, um, just uh, I think it was just still Truland and um, Bellator at the time. And then from there, we quickly started adding real estate services companies you know, title, mortgage, you know, insurance, that kind of thing. And then, you know, we've now gotten into all facets of construction. We also have a custom home building company, a commercial company. Uh, we have another one that just does only build to rent type projects, uh, not multifamily apartments, but more of the cottage style type stuff. And then we've got some trade businesses we're affiliated with. We have a landscaping company, siding company, a roofing company that doesn't do new construction. It's more tear off. Uh, type work, pest control, uh, overhead door, which is industrial type doors. Uh, we just sold our long-term property management company, as well as our interest in a waste management company. Uh, and then when, you know, we've got a couple other things that we're kicking around as well. And undoubtedly, I'm sure I just left some companies off too. So if anybody on the team's listening, it's not personal. <laughs> I just happen to forget. So were all those companies formed to like solve an obstacle along the way? Yeah, that's a great question. And we had a couple of different strategies, you know, with that. Um, yeah, I think 
we approached it more of you find the right person. And then if it's a fit, you know, you have the conversation and, and plumbing's another business that we're in. I don't think I just named that one, but uh, that was one just to give you an example. Uh, our partner in that had been our primary plumber since the day we started truly. And so he understood what our culture was about. He understood what he was about. You know, we really were his only client. And, you know, his goal with partnering with us was to be able to scale up, you know, to have some operational support, to be able to tap into the team that I have here to be able to go help him grow to where he can not only do every job, you know, for Truland Homes at some point, but also pursue other business. And, you know, that's just kind of how these relationships have evolved. And, you know, we try to set things up, you know, from a win-win perspective on both sides. And what I always tell people is like, if I can understand what's important to you, I can usually come up with something that works with everybody, but I've got to know kind of where you stand. And you know, our three rules for anything that we get involved with is first and foremost, you got to have that person that it's their whole life to go make that thing successful. Yeah, that they're waking up in the middle of the night in cold sweats, you know, Sunday morning before before church. Yeah, they're at the office, they're doing whatever they got to do to go make that thing work. But if they Passion. fail, that if they fail, they got to come home and look their spouse and kids in the eye and be like, you know, your dad, your mom is a total failure. You know, I was not able to succeed. And, and look, that's my goal is to put them in their position. You know, I look at everything that I work for them, not that they work for me. But my job is to give you the resources you need, the relationships that I have access to to help you. Uh, you know, and then hopefully give you a little wisdom along the way that I've learned from my own failures and missteps. So maybe you can avoid them. Most of us have to go touch the stove. We can't take what somebody else <laughs> says. But, you know, if I can speed up anybody's learning curve, there's a lot of value um, to be had there. But then going back to it, you know, rule number two is complete alignment with vision and values. You know, no matter how smart you are, no matter how talented you are, if you and I are not on the same page on where we're trying to go with this thing or from a core value standpoint, ours don't match up, it's never gonna work. Uh, and then the last one is, is the right setup that equitably rewards people uh, for what they're bringing to the table. You know, There may be some scenarios where all I'm able to do is provide the capital that you need uh, and you're the one doing all the grunt work, You know, but I don't wanna have a situation where I go lose money for three years you know, helping you get to this point, but then 10 years down the road, you're looking at me going, you hadn't done anything in seven years. I hadn't even seen you. You know, why am I paying you half the money every month? You know, like, well, let's remember how we got here. You know, <laughs> you were making $50,000 a year working for somebody else. I went and lost hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars year after year. So you could go build a business while paying you twice what you were making. And yes, now we're all in a better place, but let's not forget it that we're partners. And, you know, we hadn't had those kind of situations, but um, there's been plenty of times where I set something up for somebody with nothing but good intentions but just didn't understand where the business was going to be at a certain point. And you've had to come back and go to sit down at the table and say, this is where we were, but this is really how it needs to be done. And so now I approach it more with people like, hey, look, you're just going to trust me. Like, I'm going to take care of you. And if I don't, then you always have the opportunity to leave and go do something different. And, you know, I was like, talk to anybody who's ever worked with me. I've never screwed anybody over and I never will. You know, and if you don't trust me, we don't need to be doing this anyway. And that's worked out a lot better uh, because then you can kind of get further down the road and kind of see what things really look like before you try to ink something in blood. Uh, but if you got the right people around you, you know, you don't even have to have it anyway. You know, your words all that matters. You know, handshake still means a lot to me. Agreed. And I think that's one of the things I love about the panhandle and the Gulf Coast is, I mean, a handshake still means something today. So it's people, it's passion, 
and having the same vision, but with so many companies going on and so many projects, how do you make sure all of those stay on track? Yeah, I mean, we've got a pretty good system in place. Like every company um, does the exact same things every month. You know, they provide me an executive summary, you know, updated financials to where they're reporting on how they did that month versus budget. And then they're re-updating their forecast throughout the rest of the year, providing a balance sheet, uh, giving me a rundown of any personnel, you know, needs or issues or challenges, you know, we may be having. So, with, with me, you know, I, I've built a business from the ground up, you know, as the one man show doing everything. I never want to do it again. Like my, <laughs> I, I'm awful at running a business. Like I am not a good operator. If I was a public company CEO, I'd have been fired a hundred times over for a multitude of reasons, but that's not what I enjoy. You know, I, I mean, I, I love vision side. I love strategy. I love culture, but where I found fulfillment is seeing something in somebody you know, and getting excited about that and being like, yeah, this is the right spot for them. And then I'm going to go get them what they need and then push the hell out of them to hopefully go help them accomplish something special. Yeah. And I never want to be involved in anything ever again where it's falling back on me to be the guy doing it. You know, yeah. I want to help. You know, and I, again, I look at everything to where I work for you. There's not one person in this organization where my mentality is not that I work for them. And I tell them all the time, I'm like, look, you can fire me at any point. You know, if I don't act in alignment with who I say we are, if I don't do the right thing, if I don't take care of you, all you have to do is quit. Like anybody here can fire me at any time. But the same way, it works both ways. You know, if you're not representing me how I want to be represented, if you're not being a good team member to everybody here, then you're not going to be here. I mean, we have a no drama policy. You know, you get one warning, you know, and then after that, if you're somebody who's stirring the pot in the kitchen and talking smack and not rooting for other people to succeed, you're not going to be here long, no matter how talented you are. It never works, you know, ever. And we're totally committed to that. I think, you know, as, as time goes on, you know, I, I'm 40 going on about 70. You know, <laughs> I, I feel like I've had a lot of life crammed in my years and my patience for BS is just non-existent, you know, because you just realize life is too short. And I think with me, I realize how many good people I have in my life that I don't even get to spend enough time with, that somebody who's going to be negative or somebody who's going to detract from all the things that are positive, like I'm just not going to be associated with. Yeah, and that's not ego. That's not me saying I'm better than anybody. It's just saying I choose not to deal with that. And I feel like our whole company kind of works the same way. Yeah. yeah. Are those from lessons learned? Oh, of course. Everything's from lessons learned. Yeah. You know, I mean, I can look back now and think through things that mentors have told me or my dad's preached to me over the years. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I got it figured out. You know, <laughs> They're all right. You, know, you learn it over and over again. Uh, yeah, and a, and a zebra doesn't change its stripes, too. You know, once somebody shows you who they are, you know, believe them. Uh, there's not many 180s that get conducted. You, know, you don't have somebody that you get a bad feeling about that normally it turns around and you were wrong. And you know, we uh, we were doing something in, in January, kind of like a, a leadership offsite. We were talking about the hiring process and how much it really costs you when you screw it up. And Brad, our, our former chief leadership officer who now has his own consulting brand, Warrior 360, who still works with us day in and day out and been, again, one of my best friends forever too. Yeah, He and I were kind of going through the list of all the bad hires we made over the years at the manager and executive level. And over the last three or four years, you know, we came up with 20 people and we're kind of going down the list. And uh, every one of them, there was one of those boxes that didn't get checked. You know, there was something that you're sitting there like something doesn't quite, you know, kind of sit right. 
Um, and the way that we run our organization with our leadership also is you kind of have three elements. You know, you've got the financial piece that you've got to be able to perform to a budget. And our leaders set the budget. I don't set the budget. They tell me what their budget is. You know? sure. So they're expected to go perform to that. It's not like we fire somebody in the first quarter, they miss a budget. But, you know, they're establishing their guidelines, the goals. And, you know, we expect them to work towards that and perform. Eventually, if they can't, you know, it's going to be an issue. Right. And then the second piece is on the leadership side. And we conduct 360s, you know, on a regular basis, which is where you get evaluated by your manager, your peer, you know, the people who are your direct reports underneath you. And they do give you that candid um, feedback, which is a, which is a, I just went blank. What's the word I'm looking for? Confidential. Yeah. Yeah. A real difficult one. Right. <laughs> Which is totally confidential. Nobody knows where it's you know, really coming from. Sometimes you can figure it out, you know, based off who says what. But, uh, you know, and that really tells them how they're showing up day in and day out when they come to work every day. Uh, and then the last element is we do Gallup surveys and Gallup really helps you on the culture piece. You know, are you living in alignment with who I am, with who 68 Ventures is and with your company in general? And those are kind of the three things that we measure our leaders against. And I always remind them that it's not enough to do two out of three. You know, long term, if you're going to be the right person who's going to be my partner in business and in life, then you're going to have to hit on all three. You know, and that don't mean you get it right every time, but you got to have a commitment to get there because we owe that to our people. You know, I, I take my role very, very serious and the responsibility I have and the trust that people you know, place in me. Uh, and never take it lightly, ever. You know, I mean, I, I feel like I have a much bigger responsibility to them than they do to me. Sure. So of the ones that were bad hires, like, was there one box that was the same in all of them? Or uh, it, it definitely wasn't the same in all of them. I mean, sometimes, you know, you have people who can interview you pretty well, you know, who can tell sure. you the answers that you think you need to hear. Um, and then they get into it and they've over, oversold themselves. And I don't understand that because it's always going to expose you. And unless you're just somebody who's a super hard worker that can uptake really quickly, it's, it's not going to pan out. So that's one that certainly um, certainly plays a big part. And then, you know, of course, you get some people who represent that they're one thing and they're not from a value set. And I, I'm not going to deal with anybody who doesn't have integrity. Like, you know, if you can't do what you say you're going to do, or I don't think that you've got my best interest in this whole place at heart, then yeah, it's never going to work. But from a, a tactician standpoint or tactical standpoint, I can tell you the number one thing was hurrying, you know, hiring the first candidate or feel like you got to have somebody next week, you know, or settling. Yes. That's the number one tactical mistake, you know, outside of somebody pulling the wool over your eyes in the interview process, you know, or not seeking enough feedback from people. Like I just hired them and I didn't let everybody else here go meet them. You know, I didn't send them to another company, you know, and let them put them through the ringer and call me and say, hey, buddy, I'm looking out for you here. But that is not sit right. You know, not calling references. It seems like easy blocking and tackling stuff. But sometimes we let ourselves get so busy, you know, and you feel like you're drowning in so many areas. And it's like, well, this person's not perfect. But no matter what, they're going to be able to help and make it better. Always the wrong answer. You know, slow down, get the right fit. A hundred percent. We talk a lot about that operationally. And, um, I tell my teams the same thing. Like we can't just fill the position with a warm body. Like I had a mentor years ago tell me it was always about putting the right person in the right seat on the bus. 
And I think that's the best hiring advice for well, sure. Coach Saban talks about it all the time that high achievers hate mediocre people and mediocre people hate high achievers. And, you know, the worst thing you can do to a high performing team is go surround them by somebody who's going to drag them down and vice versa. The worst thing you can do for somebody who doesn't move fast or perform at a high level is go put them in a spot where people are going to steamroll them. You know, they're going to get embarrassed. Their pride is going to be absolutely crushed, assuming they have any. So again, you're not doing anyone, anyone a service by making a decision like that hastily. Yeah. We even talk about that with hiring management companies. Like it has to be so aligned with your vision and mission for the project. And, and it just goes back to kind of the same process of hiring people. We all have to be working towards the same goal. And maybe it goes back to the passion you talk about, like the passion that's like sets your soul on fire, that failing is just not an option. So I love that. Um, So the one thing about your leadership style that I admire is that it seems like you're just so passionate about taking people with you mm-hmm. and helping them grow and helping them get to their goals. Have you always been that way? Well, selfishly, the only way my life gets better is if they get better. Right. You know? I mean, that, being honest, you know, but no, on the leadership side, I learned in the Marine Corps, which was a big shift for me on what I thought being a leader was, is that you know, being a leader is all about putting all those that you're responsible for ahead of yourself. And if you do that, you know, they will run towards gunfire, you know, for you. Um, you know, I came from an athletic background, you know, growing up, being in competitive sports, playing football at Alabama. And that was always to me, it was like, okay, if I show up and I've prepared more than anybody else, you know, I've worked harder at practice, I've done the extra things, I've watched the film, and then I go perform, like that's what a leader does. It's leadership by example. But really, that's not enough, you know, to be that kind of leader that people will rally around, that they'll get up early in the morning, that they'll work on weekends. They have to know that I care about them more than I care about myself. And I think that's what's permeated in this culture here. And what's so neat to me is that we have team members that I've never met, that I've never spent any time with, that if they walk down the hall, I wouldn't know who they are. But because we've done such a good job culturally on having our leaders that they're working under be able to tell our story, to be able to tell what I'm all about. You know, they know that for them to be on my team, the leader, they have to treat their team members just like I would want them to be treated. You know, And so they're willing to go do whatever it takes to protect them, take care of them, jump on the grenade for them You know, by helping solve their problem or say, hey, blame me, don't blame them, because they know that's how I care for them. And so somebody who's never met me can have that feeling that we're connected and they know that I'm sitting here all day, every day thinking about them and what's going to make us better today and set this company up for more and more opportunities down the line, because that's what it's all about for us. You know, Um, and, you know, making money is important. Like, you know, you you can't make meaning without making money. Uh, But from a lifestyle standpoint, I've been very blessed, you know, and it's not about the last dollar for me and it never really has been. It's been about the challenge side, you know, of getting good, you know, what you do. Uh, but also, you know, I look at making money as, you know, more bullets. You know, the more money we make, the more we can go out and try to go move the needle. The more opportunities I can create, you know, for our team, the better I can take care of them and their families financially, the more we can go try to do something else that's fun and exciting, you know, for everybody. Money's not the end all be all, but in business, it is the scoreboard. You know, I mean, there's a lot of other things that matter, but 
you know, you've got to get to the end of the day and have a business that is profitable. Uh, and we're not there at every business to some industry standard that we're meeting and exceeding <laughs> yeah. where I can say, pick a business and I'll show you how we're the best in class. We're not there at any of them. You know, there's not one business that we have yet that you put us up against anybody and I'll say, yep, we've got that figured out better than anybody else. But what I do have is a lot of dedicated people who wake up every single day to try to do the right thing for the right reasons. I know always have my back. And for that, you know, I, I sleep really well at night. And I think that's also part of the fun part. You know, it's the journey of seeing where you are today and where you can go. And you know, when you live it all day, every day, you don't really see it. And then you go visit with somebody else. And like, man, it's incredible, you know, what y'all built. And you're like, you know, we suck. You know, <laughs> we have so much further to go. And they're like, no, you're doing some things right. And, you know, and we do have a lot of people that are doing a lot of things right. And that's fun. You know, you start reflecting back over the years and, you know, we were doing this or we were having this conversation. And the way I like to gauge it is a, a better set of problems. You know, you're always going to have problems in life, physical, spiritual, emotional, you know, relationships, you name it. They're always going to exist. But if you're talking about a better set of problems and you're trying to solve issues that, that are more important, that matter more, that's when you know your quality of life is actually getting better. So it's not about problems going away. It's just about better ones to go work on. And I think that's where we're getting as a business, all of our businesses, every day we're trying to solve better problems. And when we do our quarterly business plan, plan reviews with our leadership, we do that every 90 days with our companies. That's a big gauge for me. Like, are we talking about a problem that was better than the one we were talking about 90 days ago, 180 days ago, 365 days ago? Yeah, yeah we call it champagne problems champagne and we like problems. to have those. Um, but it goes back to exactly what you're saying. So, um, you said something about preparation and with football and military, like as a CEO, what does preparation look like for you today? I mean, I won't really classify myself as a traditional CEO because I really sure. don't have one core business that I'm waking up all day, every day and thinking about. Um, people ask me all the time, like, what do you spend your time on? Like problems. That's all I talk about is problems. And I don't say that whining. But that's my job. You know, my job is to help people solve problems. And, you know, not only do I have a lot of experience, you know, in business, excuse me, and in life, but I know a lot of people who are really smart, really talented. Um, and they have also uh, solved a lot of problems over the course of their career and also have a lot of relationships. So, um, you know, I've got a bunch of friends and, and, and people who care about me and I care about them. So a lot of times I can help solve a problem faster and better than some of our other team members just because of life experience and relationships. You know, everybody who works here is better at what they do than I am. There's not one person in our entire company that I can do their job better than them. You know, but I do have an extremely high pain tolerance and, and an ability to kind of figure things out. And that's what I do all day, every day. Like when I come to the office, I don't even turn my computer on anymore. You know, I'm just here to go deal with the next phone call, the next you got a minute, you know, the next, hey, can we sit down for a few and talk about this? Or here's what I really need help on. Um, you know, that's kind of what I do all day, every day. But from a preparation standpoint, uh, you know, I'm kind of more of the mindset of you wake up really early every day, you go as hard as you can, you know, and you do all you can for everybody else. And then you just see where it shakes out at the end of the day, and then you do it all over again. But yeah, I'm very obsessive over details. You know, I've subscribed to the, the theory that how you do anything is how you do everything to the point that I can wear people out. It doesn't matter if there's a piece of trash, you know, in the, in the parking lot 
you know, or just the, you know, everything's got to be right from something sitting on a table. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is, you know, how small it is. It, it all is reflective of who you really are and what you care about. You know, greatness is a lot of little things done right over and over and over and over again. Uh, so I think that's kind of what I try to exude to people all day, every day is just kind of set that example that if you put other people first, you absolutely bust your ass and you always do what you tell people you're going to do, or you'd be prepared to die on that hill trying, then that's kind of the example that I'm supposed to, to pass on. But there's not a lot of uh, me sitting down around going through spreadsheets, you know, but I am always thinking about what's next or some idea or how we can move somebody here. And I work weird hours and stuff too. So, you know, my team's very adaptive, you know, in that respect. They know like, oh God, Nathan got another idea. <laughs> So sometimes I think they try to sit on them for a little bit and hopefully they'll subside before we go run down the road on it. But no, I would not classify myself as the typical CEO that's just all focused on one thing all day, every day. And I've tried to do that in the past, like just focus on home building, just focus on single family lot development. It lasts about two weeks before I'm, you know, distracted again. <laughs> so eventually I just embraced it. So do you think leading by example, being the one that picks up the trash, being the one who does whatever it takes also makes them feel like you're more accessible, like to bring those problems to you to help solve them? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And like, don't kid yourself as a leader. Everybody's always watching. I mean, it does not matter what you're doing. Yeah. You know? I mean, if I go out of town, I can promise you everybody in our organization, everybody in Baldwin County knows that I've gone on vacation somewhere. Like, It's okay. Don't try to hide it. You know, don't ever try to you know, trick anybody that works with you. you know, we have ShareFile where all my personal financial information you know, lives in it. Now, everybody knows what I spend every month on whatever I want to do. I mean, like, you know, there's no secrets around here. You know, I don't lock doors. I don't have passwords on stuff. I mean, it just it is what it is. You know? Transparency. Transparency. I mean, people if people know, you know, that things are challenging and know that they have to rise to the occasion and their performance matters. They will give you so, so much more. Uh, and But your question, you know, on the accessibility side, uh, yeah, I mean, being able to have a human element, but I think where, where I have, um, where I think, let's talk about leadership in general. I mean, I think authenticity is a massive thing. You know, you show up as who you are and who I am and what works for me. If that's not who you are, the worst thing you can do is go fake it. You know, don't try to be me, be you, whatever that is. Yeah, and for me, like, you know, I'm very comfortable showing people my flaws. Like I'm not perfect. I screw things up. I can own them. You know, I can own them when I make the wrong decision in business. I can own them when I make the wrong decision in life. And I've had a lot of life struggles, you know, throughout my four decades, you know, on this planet too. And I'm very open about talking about those things with anybody. So for that reason, I spend just as much time having people outside of our company asking for my time to go talk about something they're struggling with on a personal front or something they've run into or asking advice, you know, on the business side. And to me, I had so many people who gave me that time and energy when I was trying to come up uh, and still do, you know, as I try to figure things out that I feel a sense of responsibility to do that. Now I have gotten a little bit better about guarding my time, you know, somewhat because I remind people like saying yes to one thing is no to another. And I have leaders of my companies that you're asking to spend more time with me than I've given them the last six months. So yeah, there's a balance to that kind of thing, but it all goes back to just being who you are and being okay with that. Yeah. It took me a long time to get there. Don't, don't think I've had that figured out since birth either. Yeah. So sometimes we get caught up when we're talking about leadership, that everything's always rainbows and butterflies. Like 
what's your piece of advice to people that, you know, things aren't going well? And like, is there one little piece of advice you would give them? Yeah, I mean, I just remember everybody's fighting a hard battle. You know, I mean, just show a little grace. There's no one, no one on this planet. I don't care who it is. Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk. I mean, you name it. They didn't struggle with something. And any business that you look at and you're like, God, why didn't I think of that? Why am I not involved in that? Why am I not doing that for a living instead of this? Every damn one of them's got his challenges. I promise you, there ain't anything easy. And the sooner that you can just embrace that anything worth doing is going to be difficult, you know, the better off, you know, you're going to be. And yeah, I tell my kids all the time, I'm like, you know, if I look back on my life, everything that I'm proud of absolutely sucked when I was doing it. You know, it was like some of the hardest, most miserable days, moments, you know, of my life. But now I look back on them with the biggest grin on my face. And that's what I want to talk about. You know, you never like, oh, you know, the best day of my life ever was when I was sitting at a Four Seasons on a beach, you know, <laughs> having a margarita. Like, let me tell you about that day. Like, no, you're going to tell them about being in Iraq. You're going to tell them about playing scout team fullback at Alabama. I mean, nobody cares about that other stuff. You know, anything of significance is supposed to be hard. You know, like you just got to accept that. So whether you're a leader, leadership's hard. Whether you're responsible for one person or a thousand, like it's a load to carry. You know, I mean, it really is. I use the expression that's, you know, it's like uh, loading up your pack, you know, in the military. The more people you're responsible for, the heavier it gets. But truthfully, the more folks that are counting on me, the more fulfillment, you know, I find, you know, like I love the pain. You know, one of our expressions is embrace the suck. You know, you got to learn to love it. And if you're trying to build a business, start a business, you know, grow a business, working for somebody else, even if it's not yours, if you don't have that mentality, like you're going to be a failure. 100% guaranteed. Wow. That's so good. So two more things. So um, the person, you're just a visionary and you've chased a lot of dreams. And I love your transparency that it's not always easy. But what, what would you tell the person who is too scared to chase their dream. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the biggest risk of all is not taking one. You know? yeah. And I always talk to folks that know me and I'm like, if you want to be talked out about something, out of something, don't come talk to me. And whether it's an employee that wants to go out and do their own thing or, you know, somebody else who's considering, you know, doing this, I'm going to tell you to go for it every damn time. And I, I mean, I, I do not want to be one of those people that get to the end of my life and I'm living with a bunch of regrets and I wish I did this or I wish I did that. Yeah, I'm going to be the one that goes for it. I can live with failure. You know, failure does not bother me. Yeah, I'd rather win. Don't get me wrong, but I can live with failure. You know, as long as I gave my best and you know didn't do anything half-assed, like I can live with that result. Uh, you know, my my daughter, my oldest daughter, was asking me the other day. She's like, you know, what's uh, what are some of your regrets in life? And I'm like, that's a pretty deep question on the way to a volleyball game. You know, on a Saturday morning. And I said, I'll give you two things. One, I'll give you personally and one, I'll give you business. And I said, personal was I spent way, way too long, you know, being an ignorant person. And, you know, like there are a lot of really neat people that I met, missed out on in my life, having a relationship with that could have added value to me, that could have made me a better person. And I didn't become friends with them or I didn't invest time in them or I thought I was better than them because they talked different than me. They looked different than me. They had a different background. You know, they were Auburn fans. So, like, you know, you, <laughs> go, you go all the way down the list, but there are a lot of really cool people I missed out on because, you know, I was ignorant. I mean, there's no other way around it. Like, I'll never consider myself a racist, you know, but you know, I grew up a lot differently than my kids, you know, did. 
you know, you know, my kids today like think of the world totally different than I did, you know, as a 10 year old growing up in South Alabama. Uh, but there's a lot of things, not just along those lines, but just all the way around. I was an athlete, you know, uh, I was a jock, you know, so if somebody was more of a nerd, then I had nothing for them. You know, nerds to me are as cool as it gets these days. Right. Anybody who's interesting, anybody who's not afraid to be themselves, those are the people I gravitate towards. And she's like, well, how long did it take you to figure that out? I was like, probably because I was at least 35, you know, maybe even a little longer. She's like, that's a long time, dad. I'm like, <laughs> yep. You know, like I said, that's one of my biggest regrets. And then I said on the work side, you know, it's the time that I spent on things that were never going to matter, even if I got it right. You know, whether it was a company that was too small or a business, a real estate deal that, you know, was never going to move the needle, you know, even if we did get it just right. Um, you know, and that's what I tell folks now, like, if you're going to go try to solve a problem, solve a problem for something that's going to matter, you know, that's going to change your life. It's going to change the life of the people you're responsible for. It's going to really, really, really upgrade your set of problems. You know, don't go invest anything in something small. Um, so, you know, going back to that end, I mean, I think that's kind of some of the advice that, that I would give, you know, be willing to take counsel. Don't think you got it figured out because I damn sure assure you don't. The second you think you do, you will get humbled. Agreed. So obviously I'm a big fan of your blog that comes out every day. Um, So this is what I want to leave with. Why do you sign off Keep Punching? So, I mean, I think uh, I'll tell you the exact story, but I I think for me, you know, I've always been a, a pleaser and a prover. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, I had a successful dad growing up. He had played football for Coach Bryant in Alabama. You know, he was a real estate developer. You know, he was my hero and still today, you know, is and one of my best friends. And yeah, to me, I always wanted to make him happy. You know, I always wanted to prove something to him that I could go not only do what he did, but do it one step better, you know, to some some element. And yeah, that's a difficult way to live, but it's also, you know, does lead to some achievements, you know, kind of along the way. Um but the key punching thing, like I, I never have considered myself overly gifted in any respect, you know, not athletically, uh, not intellectually. You know, I made really good grades in school because I worked my tail off. You know, I went further than I should have athletically because I worked my tail off, you know. Uh, and so that's kind of always been my competitive advantage is that I can take the pain. You know, I can go a little bit further. You know, it's kind of a Navy SEAL quote I keep by my, my desk that there's, you know, you're not dead. You can't quit. You know, that's kind of the mentality that I've always had is you give me enough time, you cannot beat me. And Dr. Kevin Elko, who is a um, kind of sports psychologist type guy, he does more than sports, but um, yeah, he had a story that he was telling on one of his blogs one day on a, a boxer uh, named Cyclone that was fighting this other guy. And um, yeah, they had just gone round and round and round and round. And eventually he, gave up and he lost the fight and yeah, he was supposed to win and they're back in the training room afterwards. And this is back in the old days. He didn't have big walls to separate everything. It was really more of a curtain. And he heard the guy say, if he would have hit me one more time, I was going to throw in the towel, you know? And so it's kind of that whole element that we never know when our opportunity is going to break. We never know when our life's going to get better, when we're going to get over that hump personally, professionally, whatever it may be. But if you just keep going, like eventually things will work out, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm a spiritual person. I hadn't always lived my life that way, um, but I'm very, very rooted, you know, in my faith today. And I think where I find the most solace is just knowing God's got a plan for my life, you know, but it's his plan and not mine. 
But what my responsibility is to him is just to never give up on trying to become that person he designed me to be. And you know, I've been extremely blessed, you know, from start to finish. You got parents that love me. Um, you know, got an awesome brother, wife, kids. You know, you go all the way down the list. You know, I have more fantastic people in my life than I deserve, a million fold over. Uh, but with that, you know, it's kind of always carried with me our purpose statement to see all we can do with all we've been given. You know, my middle name's Luke. My son's a junior. He goes by Luke. But Luke 1248 is hung above my bed or in my office, you know, my whole life. And it's to whom much is given, much is required. And to whom men have committed much, they'll ask the more. So to me, I've always looked at it because I've been given these blessings, these head starts, these advantages, whatever you've said, you know, whatever you want to call it. I got to go do something with it, you know, and God does have plans for my life, you know, whether it's stupid things that I've done, you know, and I lived through or serving in combat and having the close calls that I did and I'm still here, you know, or bad decisions I've made as a person, you know, that and I still get to be here today and be in this position and have the family and stuff that I do. It's just reinforcement that, you know, we got an amazing God and, you know, he's still got big plans for me and he's got big plans for this company. And I think that's what you've got to trust into. Yeah, and faith's different for everybody. You know, how I look at it is not how somebody else is supposed to. But if you can't trust that there is some grand plan, you know, for your life and you're working towards it, you know, you're really never going to find that fulfillment. And by the same token, too, if you really believe that, when you have a failure, when you have a setback, you get knocked flat on your back, then you can just believe that it's all part of his plan, it's part of the process, and your job is just to get back up and keep punching, you know. And if you, it's hard to beat somebody who never quits. And that's kind of just the way that I've always looked at it. So it's real simple. You know, no matter what, you just keep swinging. I love it. Thank you so much for doing this. It means a lot to me. And I think this is just going to be such a great message for everybody to hear too. Well, I love talking about it. You know, it's, it's my whole life and something I'm very, very passionate about is you've used that word a few times and I always enjoy getting to talk about uh, this business and, and the people here that make it so special. Thank you. All right. Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I did. There's nothing better than hearing it directly from the person who built the company from the ground up. It won't always be rainbows and butterflies, but I guarantee it will be worth it. See you back here soon. And as Nathan would say, keep punching.